right. There you go. Okay. How you guys doing, y'all? How y'all doing? It's cold out there, right? That cold snuck up on us, you know? It was like 60, 70 degrees a couple of weeks ago, then bam, you know, 30 degrees. But it's nice to be here again, y'all. Um, last time I was here, man, I'm trying to remember what I preached on last time. Do you remember Isaac? Is he even here? Where's he at? That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right, okay. So that was, I think, in June or so, but that was a great time to be with you guys. And, um, yeah, so Isaac uh, asked me to share something on uh, worship uh, in this series called uh, Toolbox. And, you know, I've actually been listening to the sermons, so I really enjoyed them myself. Uh, and And I pray that you guys have been blessed by the sermons as well. And um, so, yeah, I'm going to try to just add a, uh, a little bit more to the, to the situation, I hope, and I hope that it blesses us all, not just you, but, but me as well as I, uh, as I preach it. So uh, thank Isaac for uh, praying for us, and so we'll just dive um, right in. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm not sure if it was the first sermon in the series, but Pastor Isaac spoke about the woman at the well. Do you guys know that story of the woman at the well? Right. So if you are uh, familiar with church, if you've been in church, even if uh, you're not really familiar with church, that's a very popular uh, story. So most of us are familiar with that. And judging by the reactions, that is the case. So just to catch you up a little bit on that story, uh, what ends up happening is Jesus and the disciples, they come to this town, and they come uh, near this well at about midday, around like around noon, right? So they come to this place. The disciples now go off to go find something to eat, get some, get some food, and Jesus stays here by this well. And a woman is there at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. As you may know, Jesus is Jewish, right? And Jews and Samaritans at this time were like oil and water. They did not get along. But they end up having this conversation and this back and forth, and this is part of their conversation. Now, this is John 4, verses 16 through 22. This is a part of their conversation. So it goes, John 4, 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So Jesus is all up in this woman's business, right? (laughs) He's all up in her business. She says, look, I perceive you're a prophet. I don't know you, right? But you know all this about me, so you must be a prophet. So all of that is, you know, it is kind of strange that he's kind of, you know, on her like this, right? But all of that is okay. It makes sense. Now, the next couple of lines is when it starts to get a little strange. So she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation 
is from the Jews. So how do you get from this woman at the well, meeting her there, calling her out on her sin, and now she's telling Jesus about worship, okay? So we're going to talk about that today. How do we get there, and how does this person tell Jesus about worship? So in order to do that, we got to take a look at what is worship. So I got three parts for you here, okay? You got three parts? You ready for me? Three parts. So we got the meaning of worship. Then we have the act of worship. And then lastly, the life of worship. So first of all, what is worship? Now, if you've been in church for a little bit, once again, you might remember sometimes the pastor might give you the Hebrew or the Greek word, right? Sometimes he might want to sound kind of smart on you, you know, throw like a couple of uh, shachas and chachamas and all of that, right? Like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about, right? So I'm about to do that right now, actually. But, but, but there is a reason for that, okay? So the Hebrew word for uh, worship is shacha, right? That means to, that means to bow, it means to bow. Now, the first time that we ever see this word shaha in the Bible is Genesis 18, 2 to 3. Now, this is Abraham here. So this is what happens. It says, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself. There he goes, bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So this is what's called a theophany, right? So that's a little uh, theological term. It's uh, an appearing of God on the earth before Jesus came. We're not going to go into all of that right now. Just that's just what it is, right? But Abraham sees these three people. He says, wow, th- I know this is worthy to be praised. This is holy. This is righteous. This is good. And so what? He bows down. You got me? So that's the first time we see shakha in the Bible. Now, the first time we actually see the word worship in the Bible is not too far after that. It's in Genesis 22, verse 5. And this is, again, Abraham. And it says this, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So you might know the story as well. Abraham and Isaac, right? Isaac was the promised son. Sarah gave birth to this boy. She was old. Abraham was old. God had promised this son for a long time. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, Isaac is here. Then God says, you know what? I want you to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham's response is, he goes to the mountain early in the morning. He has his young men, his like helpers and things like that. He says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So this is the first point. From the beginning, God has tied worship to his glory, honor, and reverence, and our humility, obedience, and sacrifice, 
right? Say that again. From the beginning, God has tied worship to his glory, honor, and reverence, and our humility, obedience, and sacrifice. So now notice this. None of these things has to do with singing or music. I haven't talked about that at all, right? None of these things have to do with singing, music, the atmosphere, and all that. None of that has, has nothing to do with that. God has set the standard. He set the stage. He said, this is what worship is. Now, let's go to our second point, which is the act of worship. Now, of course, when you heard that there was going to be a sermon on worship, I can almost guarantee that most of you are thinking, oh, he's going to be talking about praise and singing and music and such, right? Is that the truth? Who thought that? Stop playing around. Stop playing around. Who thought that? Okay, good. So you thought, okay, this might be a, a thing about, you know, music, maybe, I don't know. It might be involved with that. And you know what? There is a place for that, right? So, so we have songs that's, that go, you know, here I am to worship here I am to bow down. Uh-huh. Yeah, you heard it. Here I am to say that you're my God. Right? So we have those kinds of songs. We have, you are Alpha and Omega. We worship you, Allah. You are worthy to be praised. Okay? So, so this is, yeah, now you're starting to feel the worship, right? You're starting to feel that, right? Or we have... um. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Or for some of the older saints, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Yep, yep. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Which is what Abraham said, by the way. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. So when you hear worship, you're thinking that. That's worship, right? And you know what? That is part of worship, okay? It is part of worship. So praising God through singing is great, and, and for a few reasons, okay? So the Bible tells us, believe it or not, 322 times it uses the word praise and sing. 322 times, right? So if it uses that many times, it's probably a good thing for us to do it. Now, when we praise God together, though, it's also a picture of eternity. So in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
So when we come together, right, we're all varied here. There's people from all over the place, different backgrounds, different resources, different towns, different countries. We're all coming together, lifting our hands and our voices together in praise to God. And that is a picture of what will happen in eternity. All of us together doing that. So that's a good thing. Also, when we praise God together, we encourage one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You ever come to church and you're just heavy? It's been a hard week. It's been a hard time. You're in a rough season. But coming in here and hearing everybody lift their voices together, it breaks something in you, and it just relieves the burden and that yoke on you, right? Amen? So that is encouraging. So that's a great thing that uh, worship does or praise does for us when we do it all together. Also, when we praise God together, it pleases God. Psalm 149, 1 to 4, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. God rejoices with us when we praise together. Amen. So he enjoys that. He loves to see us coming together, lifting our voices together in praise to him, glorifying his name. But as I said, praising God through singing is an element of worship, but it is not the entirety of it. I'll say that one more time. Praising God through singing is an element of worship, but it's not the entirety of it. So if we go back to that story from the beginning of the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus, look at what Jesus says to her about worship. This is John 4, verse 23 and 24. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. Now, I can tell some of you guys have read those words, right? So, what does that mean, though? What does that mean? What does that mean? That takes us to our third point, the life of worship. Now, sometimes you're going to come across a passage in the scriptures, and you ask yourself, man, what does, like, what does that exactly mean? It's kind of hard to decipher. But there's other times where it's like plain and simple, and it's right there, and also other times where something else in the Bible explains that particular scripture. You got me? So in this, in this case, if we look to Romans 12, 1 and 2, it kind of explains a little bit more what is being said right here. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. So, Jesus said, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. So Romans 12 kind of explains it for us. What, is, what does that mean, right? So we, that means that we are a living sacrifice. We are holy and acceptable to God. That is how we are to live. The truth part is in verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Before you came to Christ, you embraced what? Lies. You embraced heresy. You embraced falsehood. When you came to Christ, Jesus is the truth. You embrace the truth. So, Pastor Isaac talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus, what, what he's describing here is that no longer is worship to be tied to a place. It is now tied to each and every person, every individual. He was saying in a couple of sermons ago, he said that there was a tabernacle and the presence of God literally rested on this place. It was there. There were priests that came and they clothed in a certain kind of way. You had to tie a rope around their waist to go in there. If they messed up while they were doing, while they were worshiping God, they could fall dead. So the rope was to kind of pull them back so that no one else would have to go in there that wasn't authorized or wasn't, you know, granted that access, right? But all of that is done away with, with Jesus. So when Jesus comes into the picture and he died and he rose again and he went back, he went back to heaven and he left us with the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit is living in us. Now we become temples of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So we are walking and talking temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Everything we do is considered worship, whether we realize it or not. Everything you do is considered worship, whether you realize it or not. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of of God. Pastor Justin talked about this a few weeks ago when he's, when he's asking, how do you live outside the church walls? It's not just here. Everything you do, do it to the glory of God. Worship unto God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, that particular passage is from uh, 1 Corinthians, but it's also from a section of Scripture that talks about sexual immorality. Now, when we talk about your body being a temple, most people, I think, they go straight to thinking about sexual sin, sexual immorality, and, and those kinds of things. And that is an aspect to it. And that's an obvious way that 
we don't glorify God in our bodies. As visual, we know that, right? So sexual sins, not just fornication, not just, uh, 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 there's also pornography involved or homosexuality. All of these things are involved with that. But there's also other things that are more, that, that we can see and know, right? So we're talking about maybe drinking and smoking. Now, I'm not saying a little taste is what I'm talking about here. No, 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 no. Or with the smoking as well, that's not necessarily a sin in and of itself. But when you use those things to escape, right, or you use those things to give you comfort, right, that's when it becomes something that does not glorify God with our body, that does not glorify God um, in our worship. Also, what is easy for us to kind of observe and see is speech, what we say, right, gossip and cursing and things like that. So these are all things that we can observe and see and that we all kind of agree that, okay, these things obviously violate the, uh, the, the glory of God in our bodies and our worship, right? But there are a lot of things that fly under the radar that are kind of sneaky that we make excuses for. We don't even realize sometimes what it is. One of those things is a negative self-image, so Elder Marlin talked about, I believe it was last week, he mentioned uh, the Genesis story with Adam and Eve, and God created them in his image. Everybody here has the image of God in them. So now when you look at yourself and say, I'm not good, I'm not beautiful, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, I can't do that, that is marring the glory of God in your body. That is, that is affecting your worship. Or what about when you embrace uh, unbiblical ideas or teachings? There's so many I could list, but I'm going to park on one of them that I'm sure most of us here are all about. Horoscopes, astrology. I'm a Gemini. Aries, you know, cancer, cancer, you know, that, that's, that's, that's what I'm about, right? That's, that's, that's what I'm on, right? So what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit is abiding in you. God tells you who you are. God tells you who you are. But you look to these things and believe that, oh, no, no, this is my personality. This is what tells me the stars and the alignment. And this is in retrograde and, and this and, you know, Right? So that affects your worship. Also, neglecting prayer and reading the Bible, right? Our bodies are a temple. If you neglect reading, what is informing the teaching in the temple? What you see, what you read, YouTube, IG, TikTok, what is affecting it? There's no prayer. If there's no prayer, where is the direction where are you getting your direction of, of how to live and what to do? Where are you getting that from? Also, neglecting community. God created us for community. In Genesis, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. He was talking about uh, uh, Eve for Adam, yes, but also what he meant, what it is not good for us to be alone. None of us for us to be alone. God himself is a community. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He exists in community. 
right? So that should tell you the importance that we cannot just skip out on church and be gone for four or five weeks at a time, not calling anybody, not checking up on anybody, right? Neglecting the community, it does not glorify God in our bodies. It affects our worship. Also, violating your conscience, right? Everybody here has their own story, has their own path. There are certain things that you deal with that I don't deal with that may not necessarily be a sin, but it's something that you can't get involved in, right? I have no issues with drinking. I could drink a little wine here and there, you know what I'm saying, a little Grand Marnier here and there. That's how I like to get down. Just a little sip, nothing too crazy, right? So now, maybe you have an alcoholic you know, past. Maybe you have a struggle with these things, right? That's not for you, right? But if you violate your conscience in that way, then that does not glorify God in your body, and that affects your worship. Also, having a sacred and secular divide. So you say, when I'm in church, I'm this way. When I'm in work, I'm this way. When I'm home, I'm that way. When I'm with the kids, I'm this way. When I'm with my wife, I'm that way. So you have a divide about who you are and where God belongs in your world and in your perspective and outlook, right? Everything is the same. Everything is consistent. Everything is holy. And also, and this is a, it's a tough one, not taking care of your temple. Not taking care of your temple. We're talking about your, your diet, right? Exercise, sleep, your choice of entertainment, right? So I've been trying, y'all. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying. Trust me, trust me, I've been trying. So, but, but God gives us these, these bodies. He gives us our temple. When we don't care for, for what he's given us, we are not glorifying God in our bodies. When you reach for this and reach for that, and you know you have no business, and Thanksgiving is coming up, y'all. So, hey, Right? So when you reach for this and you reach for that, when you're not exercising, getting your heart rate up, right? All of these things, all of these things, we're not glorifying God in our bodies. We are not worshiping in the right way. Now, if we live in this way, not glorifying God in our bodies, not worshiping, we might be guilty of what Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes. In Matthew 15, 8 and 9, he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And why is that? Because in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This text is about money, but it could easily be about you can't serve, you can't worship God and Satan. You can't worship God and sex. You can't worship God in the bottle or the smoke. You can't worship God and astrology or uh, horoscopes. You can't worship God and people's expectations. You can't worship God and comfort. You cannot worship God and yourself. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, 
my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, to close out, let's take a look again at the woman at the well. Now, what happens just before the passage that we read in the very beginning? In John 4, uh, 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. They're at a well, right? But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So how did this conversation that seemed to be about Jesus calling out this person on their sins and how did it take a turn to worship? It's because that's what it was always about the whole time. And the living water of Jesus nourishes the life of worship. So if you know Jesus, remember what is inside of you. You have been saved and freed from sin to worship with your life, your whole life. It is a holistic worship. It's a whole life thing. But if you don't know Jesus, there is no living water inside of you. The reason you're constantly feeling unsatisfied and unfulfilled is because you are the God of yourself and it is leading you to death, eternal death, separated from God forever. But Jesus is calling you to life, eternal life. Choose this day whom you will worship. Let's pray.